podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This is part of the Anfield Raps Christmas Hamper. What is the Anfield Raps Christmas Hamper, you ask yourself? Well, the Anfield Raps Christmas Hamper is us handing over to you all the shows that we normally put behind the paywall for this week leading up into Christmas so you can get a flavour of what's going on there. That's what we're about with this little thing. We want you to get to listen to all of this, get a flavour of what we're doing, and maybe you'll think about subscribing. You'll be able to click subscribe whenever you want to throughout these shows. Go from there, and hopefully you'll enjoy it. But more than anything else, we very much hope you enjoy the shows. Thanks for listening all year, the Anfield rap. It is the coach home. Behind me, you can hear the static of London. We've got Natasha Henry to talk about Arsenal. She's first up. Jock got, got John Gibbons with me as well. Natasha, it sounds like you're reporting from a war zone. That's the way in which you must feel given Arsenal's performance yesterday. Oh, it's quite up, isn't it? No, not a war zone, just a central street in London. Um, yeah, oh, Arsenal. We're just Arsenal, weren't we? How many times do I ever say that on this show? Yeah. It's just very Arsenal. Um, I think yesterday was disappointing because it was there for the taking in the first half. And it was it was a case of if we'd have gone two or three nil up, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation with me sounding miserable. Yeah. I'd be a lot happier about the situation. But given that we kind of I'm not even sure what we did. It's like we were concentrating so hard on defending that we forgot forgot that goals actually win you games. And yeah, it was it was all pretty much downhill from the second half, wasn't it? Is a lot of it as well because it obviously comes so soon after Everton. So if you'd have had a bit of a good run after the Everton game again and then and then City happens, it's it's disappointing still, as you say, with how the game goes, but not the worst result of the worst. But but it's just been such a killer week for Arsenal that I think I think I think it's both the fact that the two results have came so close together almost feels like, you know, it's it's even more of a blow. Yeah, because if you look at us the Spurs, the last five games, exactly the same. Three wins, two defeats. But their two defeats have been spread out. It yeah. doesn't look as bad. The fact that we've got two red circles next to each other makes people think that it's a lot worse than possibly what it is. We're still, we're still in four. We're still there. We've been in the top four all season. And you would hope that you're going to be there and thereabouts till the business ends. So it's not as if we're eighth or ninth and people are complaining about it. You have to, you have to kind of be realistic about certain things. Well, one of the things I think, which is, which is the kick, and I think it's why people are complaining. It's the nature of the two defeats. Much the better side against Everton, go one 0 up. Much the better side against City, first half, get in one 0 up. But on both occasions, Arsenal should score two or three goals there, really. And instead, they find, honestly, this is this is soundtrack like it's the French Connection. <laughs> instead, they find themselves, uh, instead they find themselves not being able to get the results. And I think that that's that's why it feels like a kick in the teeth. And when you say it's very Arsenal, I think that's what you're sort of saying is that that's the way in which yeah. it was very Arsenal. Yeah, I mean, thing with Everton though, I mean, I've watched quite a bit of them this season. I always kind of feel like that result was coming. Could have been us. It could have been Man City. It could have been Man United that they got that result against which was that kind of the way Ashley Williams scored, his reaction, the rest of the players. You could see how much it meant. So it could have been us, it could have been anyone else. But you're right, especially against City, we should have been two, three goals up within 40 minutes. We shouldn't have been going in at half-time, one nil up. So, it, I don't know, they look really tired. Like, I know why I'm tired. Why are you tired? 
Uh, I think that's it, the. At this stage of the season, I've seen a couple of Liverpool performances recently where they've looked a bit leggy. We haven't even had European football, but oppositions have looked leggy. John's commented when West Ham got the two-two draw against us when the final whistle went, five of them hit the deck like they just run a marathon. And I think yeah. I think that in general, I think it's an interesting thing. It was Guardiola wanted like six subs the other day, which I strongly disagree with. But I think in general, as football's getting faster and faster, and everyone's playing it faster and faster, there's a different form of wear and tear on the players now. They're not getting as many injuries, but you just get to see them sometimes in patches of games just look like they've got absolutely no legs in them at all yeah I think when you have people like Alexis Sanchez in your team it kind of distracts from the fact that most people aren't like him yeah. in that they don't run around for 90 minutes straight and so everyone's comparing him to Ozil for a start they're different players but secondly Alexis is superhuman the man goes on holiday and trains on the beach you know and so to use him as a the marker for how fit all, should, all players should be is not really logical or practical. Yeah, yeah it's like ju- kind of judging everyone by Suarez, you know, why is, why is the storage running like that? Well, no one does. <laughs> that's the, and that's yeah, the kind of thing, exactly really. That. You know, some people are just kind of, you know, and it's almost the way they kind of carry themselves as well. They just, you, some players look, look even busier than, than they are. And in, and in this case, it, it, that's, kind of, that's kind of very busy, really. Uh, the other... Yeah, no, I- the other thing I wanted to ask you about was that there's a couple of players whether or not it is the tiredness factor but who just haven't been anywhere near as effective and they get a fair few plaudits I think but they haven't been anywhere near as effective this last few games when I've seen Arsenal but also sort of I think they might be vaguely sort of getting talked up a little beyond where they are anyway Monreal to me I thought he was he was in loads against West Ham and he created very very little I thought that he had similar amounts of room to work first half there against City and again there's work in the ball to him, but there's then him having the end product. And I think that because people see him in an advanced area, they presume he's a terrific attacking left-back. Whereas I'm yeah. watching him there at times and I'm thinking, he's got, the end product's got to be there. I mean, you know, you can have a couple where you give it away, but on the whole, you've got to find a shirt. Yeah, for me, this has been his worst season, actually. Um, yeah. The start of the season, I just felt like he looked like, he's, like we're saying, his legs had gone. He's never been the paciest player, but I, I would really love to see Gibbs get a chance. Or even... I know it's a bit controversial, but go to a, uh, go to a three at the back. Mm. Gibbs can play as a left wing back. He can do it. He's got the pace. He can do exactly what Moses is doing. Um, but yeah, I feel I feel bad for Awobi because he's getting a lot of grief. But he's a young player. Okay, nice ambulance. <laughs> it's astonishing. It's a fire engine, actually. Okay. Um, but um, yeah, he's getting a lot of grief. But for me, he's a young player and he's always giving his all. It's not him that should be getting the grief. It's the more experienced members of the team. Yeah. Yeah, well, that, that was the other one which stood out as well to me there, was that both halves, even when Arsenal were on top, we've talked before about Coquelin, but both Coquelin and Xhaka, they, they weren't given enough in terms of spark first half, in terms of forcing the issue 1-0 up, let's make it 2-0, lads. And second half, they weren't given enough in terms of, right, this is how we see this game out, either at 1-0 or even at 1-1. I mean, Xhaka's a really weird one, because you look at him and you just think, he should be perfect for Arsenal. Yeah. I was calling for him to start all season, but then when he plays, I'm left thinking, okay, um, why did I want him to start? Because I'm not really seeing anything that makes me think he's bringing something more to the table than what we already have. I mean, in truth, out of the three of them, El Nemi's looked the most positive, most <laughs> contributing player out of the three of them, and that's saying something. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I don't know. Maybe it's a training issue. Maybe they are tired, but they better get untired because we've got Christmas period coming and as we all know, you know, they come thick and fast through the game. <laughs> but if you're tired now, imagine how you're going to feel the first week of January. 
I wanted to ask you about um, a little bit more about Ozil as well, um, in terms of kind of his performances. I've, I've been surprised at the kind of level of criticism I've heard from Arsenal fans. I was listening to, to Five Live last night and one of the very first callers just kind of wanted to lay into him. And it, it seems to be the timing maybe is, is where the criticism lies, whereas um, you know, there's rumours he wants, he wants a big new contract and then that's been kind of similar timing to a couple of quietish performances in well quite quiet performances really in in big games is 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 that fair would you say televised games as well yeah. which I think is a killer for the player yeah yeah i mean for me i i think i do think Ozil is generally misunderstood because people like i say everyone compares him to sanchez mm. and he's not that kind of player he can stand there and do nothing for 8 minutes and have three wonderful moments of football and you've gone and won a game 3-0 i I mean, the contract thing is quite interesting because, really, when you read the papers, it's Sanchez that's calling all the shots and saying, I want this. It's not Ozil, according to reports, this is obviously, it's not Ozil that's pushing for X amount of money, it's more Sanchez. But, yeah, Ozil seems to be the one that's getting hit with the stick, basically. Um, He hasn't been great for us, but I don't think any player has really been great for us the past three or four games. I think, you know... You've got checking goals. Peter Check is Peter Check. You know, you know exactly what you're going to get. Theo's not been bad, but I don't think there's anyone that walks out of there and you think, okay, you're really great. So it's it's always the same. There's always that one player that gets picked on when a team's doing badly. Yeah. And it Erzul's the easy target, isn't he? So. Yeah, I just, I just wonder, kind of, you know, because people seem to be bringing up, you know, with the stuff that I heard, I always ask for this much money and, and things like that. And, and I mean, that, that can kind of, you know, seem like an easy target as well. I mean, I'm sure his agent's just trying to get the best deal he can and all that. So, you know, kind of a, a, a strange situation. I mean, you mentioned Walcott there. He, he's, he's a little bit lucky because he, cause he, gets, he gets the goal and he's, he's, he's generally delivering for you guys this season, isn't he? And I've, I've been impressed with him, how he's carried himself. He, he seems to be doing a lot of the interviews after games and I don't know whether that's yeah. because he just keeps scoring <laughs> so they're getting him or whether he's just I guess he's a senior guy in the squad now I mean in terms of who's been around the longest he must be he must be well up yeah, there and he's been there it's 10 years it's yeah which, which is incredible but I I've mean, just been impressed by not just how he's played but how he's carried himself how he's talked about you know this, the steel in the Arsenal team and just seems to be kind of stepping up big time for Arsenal this year yeah, I think there does come a time everyone loves to talk about how we have no leaders in the dressing room and all, all that kind of thing. I think Theo's shown this season that he he may not be the biggest or scariest guy, but he's, he's leading by example. And when you have players like Mustafi as well, who are a, a lot louder and probably a lot more scarier than Theo, you know, that's helpful to them because Theo can do the kind of work on the pitch and you can imagine Mustafi's the one screaming and shouting at everyone. Um but I think it's key that since he's not played, we've looked awful, which I think says a lot about how well he's fit into the team and how quickly. OK. Uh, Christmas period, then you've mentioned what's coming up, and it's, it's it, for bigger sides like Arsenal, like Liverpool, you've got the squad to deal with Europe, which means that, you know, you're right to say it, three games in a pretty intense period, but then Sunderland aren't built for three games in a pretty intense period, as an example, whereas Arsenal sort of half have to be. It would yeah. be, uh, you sort of do, you're not dissimilar to everyone else, and Chelsea aren't helping the way in which they're forcing the pace, but you could probably do getting back on the road and getting seven points from those nine, is that fair? Oh, yeah, without a doubt, that's exactly what you want to be getting. You don't want to lose another game, because then you're, oh, it's five games they've lost. Yeah. You know, it's, it's that kind of, there's a, a round number, but once you get to that, in the same way that Everton had only won one in ten, 
that was a perfect number and that's all you kept hearing being trotted out <laughs> all the time. So if, you, if you've lost five games, it's five games. Five, you know, it's, it gets in the player's head as well, I imagine. So I definitely think you don't want to be losing for a start and you want to at least come away with two wins and a draw because you can't imagine that everyone around you is going to trot more than that either. You have to keep pace with them. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the fixtures are quite nice. It's um, it's West Brom and Palace at home, and then it's Bournemouth away as well. Now, Bournemouth away, we saw what can happen there. They can get amongst yeah. you and they can upset you, but those are the two. I mean, at the minute, with the way Palace are, West Brom themselves have done some good stuff and they'll make it hard for you, but they are three fixtures that at any time of the season, Arsenal will be looking at and targeting nine points, let alone seven. Oh, definitely. Not looking at those, no disrespect to them, you're not looking at those teams and thinking, oh my God in the same way that you were Chelsea as a fan. But I, I think Bournemouth will be the hardest. You know, obviously Palace is another London derby because there's like 20 million per season. <laughs> but Palace is so up and down at the moment. Between like, them and West Ham, you don't know which side you're going to get. Are you going to get good at Palace where they look like they're going to, you know, be a bit more resolute and score some goals? Or are you going to get really sloppy Palace that we saw against Hull? Okay, uh, thank you very much to Natasha. Hopefully she survives the rest of the day. Feels touch and go, given what's going on around her. And um, we shall uh, we shall hand over now and we'll have a chat to Steve Armstrong about Manchester United and what they've been up to. I think Steve might be feeling a little bit vindicated. Thanks, Natasha. Uh, now Steve Armstrong and Steve, I think that there's three men right now who are especially vindicated by Manchester United's recent run of performances. The first one, I'd put him as third in the list as Jose Mourinho. The second one is you and the first one is me. Um, for, I've been saying for weeks on these shows, you've been listening, you keep messaging me afterwards, I've been saying for weeks on these shows, United are quite good, you know. And it transpires that maybe now everyone can agree and say United are quite good. I think it's harsh on Andres Herrera, by the way. Yeah, he's been... I've, I've loved his post-match interviews where he's just absolutely chocker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've never known anything like this. That yeah. sort of thing. The poor lad, I wanted to give him a hug. Exactly. After the latest nil-nil. So he, he, he's, he's maybe between two and three. He's, yeah, fair play to him. Uh, top snide, Anders Herrera. Uh, really <laughs> impressed me. Uh, Steve Armstrong, United United are actually good. Yeah, but well, that's not been any doubt. I mean, I still think it'll probably be, you know, April or May before Rob Gutman stops using the word disgrace about United. <laughs> Rob, Rob thinks Chelsea are crap, though, so, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily trust him. Yeah, um, Rob can't no, figure I, out what's I, going on at Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> They're just winning games, yeah, mate. Exactly. I think I think that they are. They, listen, the the fact that we've now started getting three points instead of one in a couple of games hasn't necessarily changed standard of performance. Um, and it absolutely, and I'm absolutely insistent on this. It hasn't increased the mood around United in the support because it was already hugely positive albeit some of it built on relief that it wasn't what used to be. And it probably has turned a bit more to looking forward with optimism as opposed to looking backwards with, you know, thank fuck that's, thank fuck that's finished. Um, so I do think, yeah, I think you're right. Um, some decent performances, but that's been the case for quite a while now. Um, I still maintain, I think, that the performance that I think United have, built this on from was probably the Anfield one where they proved that they have more than one type of game in their locker um, and I think ever since then um, the performances have gone on to a to a, to a decent level um, obviously the one block within that is the thrashing at Chelsea but even that on its day was that was just one of them days where everything Chelsea did went in um, it wasn't as crushing a defeat as it as it looked, we didn't play very very well. But, but yeah, it's been uh, it's it's been good. But um, you know, in the five or six years that I've been coming on to Anfield Rap, um, 
the player that I've talked about almost continuously as being the catalyst and the most important player at the club in terms of influence on matches, um, despite his age of 35, is still unfortunately the player who uh, is, catal- is, is, is the one who's cap- catapulting United back towards being in contention or on, on the outskirts of being in contention for, uh, for various things. So, you know, it's been great um, and it's brilliant watching Michael Carrick control games, take games. It's been brilliant watching Michael Carrick in 12 starts, have 10, United have 10 wins and two draws. No way. Ultimately, you know, there's no, there's just no way that anybody could ever doubt his influence on, on the club anymore. So, but United's biggest problem um, is that at some point we're going to have to replace Michael Carrick and for three or four years now we've been trying and almost failing in it, in our, in our, in our desire to do that, but uh, you know, so far so good, and um, yeah, it's uh, it's been it's been enjoyable the last uh, three or four months, no doubt about it. I love a good blind alley, and I'll go down on Michael Carrick one at the drop of a hat. I mean, I always remember when United signed Michael Carrick; that's somebody signed him. I think it was 06. They didn't sign anyone else, and there was a lot of talk about replacing Roy Keane. How do you replace Roy Keane? And even four or five <laughs> seasons after they signed Michael Carrick, people were still having a conversation going. I don't think United ever ever replaced Roy Keane, and in that period, he did win a European Cup, two league titles, it was uh, three, might be three. He won, yeah, he won his first three. I'm three, pretty sure. Yeah, three league titles, a European Cup, uh, got to the final of another. And people were having conversations around, well, how are you ever going to manage to replace Roy Keane? United, Ferguson's been trying to do it for four years. It strikes me mm. as, you know, as, as as hugely ironic that now the difficulty is replacing Michael Carrick and, and he could he could well actually be Manchester United's most underrated player of all time. I, you could possibly even put him in a category if, if you did a show on most underrated players in the Premier League era, I think he'd probably find himself somewhere in the top, you know, top ten of that. Um yeah. it's, it's interesting. what Michael Carrick does, you get some midfielders who make who make attackers play better and you get some midfielders who make defenders play better. Carrick makes both play better. And it's under no you know, it's absolutely no coincidence that since Carrick's been in the side and playing on a more regular basis, I actually think Mourinho's started to use him really, really well as well. It's like he's kept him He's kept him fresh and he's kept him fit, but also kept him heavily involved as well, and which has been really, really good to see. Um, but he's making players ahead of him play better. Um, and it's no coincidence that all of a sudden Pogba's getting further forward and having an influence. Ibrahimovic has suddenly found his scoring boots again because um, he's been getting slaughtered, and yet his goal record's ridiculously good. Um, so he's been getting it. You know, Rooney's played better um, and they've gone forward with a bit more of a swagger. Um, and behind him, all of a sudden, Matteo Diamond suddenly remembered how to defend. Mm. And anyone who can make Phil Jones and Marcus Rocco look good as a partnership, <laughs> should, you know, they should, they should be getting a fucking knighthood, let alone you know credit credit for us. Oh, Man United have had enough of them. It's, <laughs> it's a sore point amongst some in Liverpool. Uh, but yeah, uh, I just wanted to touch on 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 that centre half thing. I was gonna I was gonna raise it with you actually. So you you've done it quite mm. neatly for me, which is that early in the season we were looking you were looking at Blind and Bailey and thinking they look great. Blind himself's gone over to left back. He feels slightly unfortunate, really Blind, and that he's not getting his game now. Bailey's at least had the injury, whereas Blind's sort of gone from looking like and, and looking like the very good footballer he is to to you know he's he's just sort of being overtaken on in terms of performance by a couple of others really, and he's back sort of he feels like he's the first change for the defence but the three that you mentioned there uh, Rocco uh, Jones and uh, Darmy and they're all they're all putting proper performances together I think if you look at I mean it's been amazing 
quite, you know, I mean, individually, you probably wouldn't pick any of them, but collectively, yeah. they just work like an absolute dream. I do think, though, some, a lad called Matty said on our podcast ages back that he saw Phil Jones's return as a what could be a catalyst for United season, and I couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> um, and honestly, ever since Phil Jones came back into the side, and I've been trying to put my finger on, what is it about Phil Jones that, that has had that impact? And what I've seen, I think, is... I think everybody loves a good tackle, but everybody loves a player who will put his face where others wouldn't. And, you know, and in Phil Jones's cases, that's in tackles. Sometimes it's face down on the turf, but he'll do it. And what I think that does is it raises the commitment level of people around him. And I just think he's had a massive impact on other players. Everybody now is going into that last tackle a little bit harder and a little bit firmer. Yeah. And, giving it more than, than they've ever done. So I think it has been has been quite interesting. Back to your point about Blin, though. I, I'm a little bit where I'm a bit worried for Blin because I'm a big fan of him. I think he's a quality, quality footballer. Um, you, I think what you're starting to work out, Mourinho, now, is we're starting to work out who he likes and who he doesn't. And you kind of get the sense a little bit that with Blind, you get the sense that he perhaps is out of favour and might not get a look back in there. Um, because ultimately, you could probably say he's a better footballer than any of those players who were in the squad ahead of him. Um, so that's a bit of a concern, I think, because I think he is a really, really good footballer. It, it's, um, I, I wonder if it's that he's not as much of an athlete, you know, because Mourinho does like, and yeah, it's perfectly valid, lots of lots of football managers do. I think that the current Liverpool manager, for instance, has, has upgraded Joe Allen for Van Alden off the basis of the fact that one's, one's stronger, quicker, more lithe than the other. I don't think it's necessarily mm. just simply football ability. I think that with, you know, looking at Blind, I do wonder if he's sort of, if he's decided he's a little, that, that he's gone with lads who, who, are, who are an inch or two taller, who are a little bit quicker over five yards, who are a little bit broader. Mm. That's what it looks like to me. For instance, he, he clearly loves the bones of Valencia at right back but you can do no wrong as soon as he drops out the side he's straight back in you know what I mean it, I, I do wonder if that's the you know if, if, if that's what he's looking at there I think the thing with Blind is I think he'll also be thinking he's good looking he's got nice hair and he's also one of Louis van Gaal's ex-players and to be honest that's really off-putting to me as well <laughs> so I'm kind of kind of I'm kind of with him a little bit on that I think he's always wanted people who brawl people who get stuck in people who be I mean you used the word snide before about Herrera yeah. I think Mourinho is probably the he loves snide players more than yeah. uh, more than anybody in the world. So you know, I can I can understand that. I think he's almost got too much finesse about him to play in the type of team that Mourinho wants. I think Mourinho ultimately wants to slug first and then play well second. Do you think, do you think it might be worth uh, looking at Blind where where Carrick is when Carrick isn't playing? Oh, I've had this conversation so so many times, um, and I, and I do think that out of everybody who's currently there. Um, he probably does fit the bill as somebody who can do that, but I think I don't think you'll, I don't think you'll see Mourinho or United doing anything other than finding somebody to spend thirty million pounds on to do that. Um, I think I still think he represents. He, there was always the teacher's pet under Van Gaal element, mm. um, and I still think he's potentially seen as one of the last kind of kind of the last bastions of what went before him, and I think he'd probably think. You know he's all right. He's not a bad lad, um, but I'd still you still get the sense that, um, and, and you know Luke Shaw has made his intentions perfectly clear. On um, I think he's he's dealing with him in the right way. I get the sense that Blind might find himself out of favour full stop, and it would be a shame. Um, but hey, you know he runs that football club. He's the manager, and what he says 
as should be the case, goes where that one's concerned. So we'll wait and see what happens. But yeah, the um, that kind of back, he does love Valencia. Valencia's been an unbelievable revelation um, at, uh, at right back. And the thing is, he's not actually lost his ability to bomb forward and mm. be that person who's still putting crosses in, um, albeit you know, hitting them violently hard across the floor against other people's shins. His end product has never been great, but, you know, his pace still intimidates people. And for me, he's still, he's still been United's player of the season so far. You know, I know we talked about the Carrick side of things before, but um, Valencia's played so much football. Um, and he has, he's been outstanding, ultimately, in a position that isn't necessarily one that he's used to. Um, albeit he's played there for two, maybe two and a half seasons now. But he's physically unbelievably fit. Um, you know, and don't forget, this is a guy who's... Sometimes you get people who are cycle. You know, I I remember the leg break when he broke his leg, and it was an horrible thing to watch. Mm. Um, you know, it was, and you could just think psychologically. Sometimes um, people don't necessarily come back well from those kind of things. He's come back bigger, fitter, harder than ever before, and and he's finally, after ten years in the team, uh, learning how to speak English. So I think that's helping as well. I think sometimes they blag though. <laughs> uh, just, just to kind can't of make about, it yeah, can't bother doing interviews. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's a terrible. Can't speak a word. Um, you mentioned the money. Bef- <laughs> you mentioned the money before. Um, did, did they might spend on so? What is there a bit of talk? Did they might do a bit in January, or do you think he'll try and get through to the summer with what he's got? No, I don't think he'll be. I don't think he's in a rush. I think, and I think I've said this before. Yeah, I think Marino's demeanour at the outset was strong. I think his demeanour in that sort of late September into sort of mid-October, end of October was, you know, he had this sort of broken man element about him, um, albeit some of it was sort of blown out of proportion. And I think he was stressing over the fact that he thought, you know, like typical other clubs he's been at, you know, and I know Chelsea into Milan, Real Madrid. I think he's probably going back to his, the way he was in and around the Porto time where he probably felt, you know what, it's taking him a little while to realise that, when the chairman said build it and do it properly, he actually means it. It wasn't just wasn't just hearsay or speak. The support will give you time. I think he now believes that, and I just think he's found an element of peace about him that is probably going to change the way he does manage, as opposed to this instant success thing. And I don't necessarily think he'll hit any panic buttons in January. I don't think he's going to be doing anything that ultimately is going to change. You know, he's not going to do anything that isn't going to add longer term value. Um, to United um, and as much as I do think United need to be in the Champions League um, and should be in the Champions League I don't necessarily think he seems to be that stressed or, or panicking about it I think he's probably been given a club that the support he now understands will back you um, if you do the right things and say the right things and play the right way the chairman and the owners are clearly doing that and uh, I just think he's finally found himself an area of peace inside himself and also an element of comfort within his surroundings. So I don't necessarily think if you were, if you then sort of apply that mindset to the club and what he'll do in January, I don't think he'll feel the need to do anything daft um, in come January. Um, Because he might be looking at the squad and thinking, I'm not going to win the title from here. Um, Albeit, you know, I think you take some of those... If you take those four draws that should have been wins, you know United suddenly smack bang right in the mid, in the mix of, of that title. Um, but um, I think he's all right, and I don't think he's going to hit too many panic buttons come January. I think United ultimately have never really been. There's not been too many massively high-profile January transfer windows for United, albeit you know that was always Ferguson style. Um, 
uh, before transfer windows existed. Um, we bought Andy Cole in January, I think he was, but that was that, and that was a ball out of the blue. But since the transfer window, there's, there's only the one matter signing, which was in January. Did he do? Um, did he do Vidic in January? Can't remember, mate. He may have done. Uh, but again, I, in, but I think the Vidic and everything, the, you, nobody had heard of either of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, by and large, so, th- so this high-profile box office signing yeah. for United, it's always been a summer thing. Um, so I would be surprised, but I do think that ultimately he'll know what he wants. The one thing I will give Mourinho massive credit for, he has given pretty much everybody in that squad a really good opportunity to impress themselves onto him. Um, you know, there's a lot of players there. I mean, there's a couple who probably haven't had a sniff and it's obvious who, but he's given everybody a go. Um, and I think he's formed a good, strong, probably accurate opinion of what he needs to keep, what he needs to bring in. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. But I would still expect United... Um, um, to, to do the bulk of their business in in summer, based on based on longer term strategies, not hitting panic buttons in January when ultimately there's no real need. I think January could be interesting from an outgoing point of view. Yeah. United, that, um, I think there's plenty of people in that squad who are probably surplus. Um, we've got absolute abundance of riches in some positions. Um, so I think that could be quite telling um, to see who goes out. And also you can command a bigger fee because people can panic a bit. You know, for instance, I think that you're at the minute right now, if you were to sell Schneider and Everton, give you twenty five million for them. Uh, because yeah. at the minute they're, they're not gonna they need they just need to Cumin just needs to be sure what he's getting in. Whereas if he waits till the summer he might think, Well, I can get this lad for eleven and it might you know what I mean? I think that it's probably worth United thinking we can shift a few of these now further down this league or elsewhere and get much more money in than we would do later on. Yeah. I think this I think that would be the case. I think it also brings in. I think it's easier to do loans to end of season in the January window. Yeah. Um, and I would expect potentially, you know, these loans with a view to a permanent move thing. I'd expect to see a few of them in and around the Schneiderlins. And it's a shame how it's panned out for him. But um, you know, you've got Depay in there who, who just isn't. You know, he's clearly not going to make it. I'll be surprised if he stays in the Premier League. I'll be surprised. But um, there's a few players dotted around. I, th- I would expect United to be more interesting outgoing than potentially incoming. But uh, you never know with Mourinho, do you? <laughs> yeah, All right, Steve, have a great Christmas. Before you go, Steve, oh, go on. Um, as, a, as, a, as a fan of, um, of the style of football that you are, what are you, expecting, what are you hoping for sorry, from the Merseyside derby tonight? That must be a, that must be a game you quite like. Um, I, I, I love... I like derbies. That I, I, I class a proper derby where there's needle off the pitch and it gets really intense, tackles flying in, red cards on it. So it's one of them that I do tend to I do tend to quite enjoy it because I'm quite glad that miss that it's the friendly derby has finally disappeared. Because <laughs> um, you know, that was, you know, apart from a couple of years, you know, in, an, in the sort of like 88, 89 period, for obvious reasons where the city came together. Um, I, you know, apart from that, it's been... You know, it is quite it is quite a needle one. So yeah, I, I will be quite interested in that. He just needs to live up to the bill. I've always said I think the derby, the only derby that has, for me has forever continually lived up to billing um, as a footballing game is Arsenal Tottenham. Um, I think a lot of other derbies tend to be a little bit more, you know, because people say for, you know another standard derby quote is this bullshit about form goes out of the window. Well, it's you know, I, it rarely, rarely goes out the window. Most derbies tend to do go to form, but I think tonight it'll be quite interesting in the sense of, I still think despite the win the other night, I think most Liverpool fans probably still think our last three or four games have been disappointing in terms of what we've got as an end return on that. Um, I do think Everton 
will be buoyed by the Arsenal game um, and also their stuffy fucking point against us in the last couple of minutes, thanks to, well, thanks to Fellaini. Um, you know, it's probably the third time I've seen Fellaini turn a United-Everton game against United, but two of them have been playing for us. Um, so it'll be hard to see, really. I don't. I, I would expect it to be a really good game. I'd expect it to be blood and thunder. And uh, I'm probably. I, I mean, I've predicted it. I think I've, I've, I've got a draw on my coupon. But uh, the better team, if the better team wins, and it does go purely to form, because Everton were pretty poor when I last saw them against United, and we let them off the hook. I would expect Liverpool to win that. But. Uh, We'll see, eh? We'll we will see. indeed. Uh, well, let Steve go now. We're going to move around, find out what's going on with Stoke. It's Elliot Hackney, Bear Pit TV. Elliot, um, 2 0 up, they're down to 10. And then there was the inevitability of doom against Leicester City at the weekend. And the reason why we wanted to get you on was because, uh, oddly, John follows a lot of Stoke accounts on Twitter. Don't know quite how it's happened to him, mate. Uh, but he, uh, <laughs> I don't he's... know whether they follow a lot or whether they were just talking a lot. So it felt like, a, but I felt like I lived every second between the two one and the two two because Stoke fans were telling me they're going to score, they're going to score, and then they did. And you were like, "Well, wasn't that fucking obvious?" Is that fair, Elliot? Yeah. Every every single fan in the ground knew what was going to happen. Every single one. Um, you know, he, I'm always behind Hughes, um, and there's a lot of people who back in his turns, like, you know, finally pushed them over the edge. Um, it, it was just so obvious what was going to happen. We, when you, you know, you go 2 0 up. Uh, Leicester had about seven yellow cards, um, three of the back four on yellows, and we're playing no wingers. We're playing John Wolfs up top on his own. And we're inviting them on, and that was the only option they had. They yeah. had to go out as the two 0 down, and that's just what we let them do. You know, we've got we had Ramadan, uh, Ramadan Sabi and Jordan Shakiri on the bench, both pacey, tricky wingers, just sat there ready to you know ready to come on and do something. And and the only change Mark uses on the seventy seventy first maybe minute brings Charlie Adam on um, to sit in sit in the midfield instead of Bojan. And then ninety first minute right will brings Ramadan Sabi on. The game's already two two then. You know, it's just so obvious, and you know, I'm 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 a fan of Mark Hughes, but that was just, you know, some people call that an absolute disgrace on Saturday, and you know, I think they're right. I mean, sometimes I feel sorry for managers because I think, you know, some if if it's two nil and and, he, and a manager goes attacking and then they get back to two all the other they get called naive and things like that, and so I sometimes think it's 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 hard to know whether it's a stick or twist, but against ten yeah. men and Leicester City with their away record how it was and. Everything about it just says just just put the put your foot on the throttle here and just and just and just and just get this game won and everything about that and to so to, to go go within themselves at that point of the game against against what they were faced with just seems so counterproductive to me that that you know as you say you almost you almost inviting the pressure on really yeah definitely it was it was just so obvious what was happening Leicester it was the only choice they had but you know in the, in the circumstances they had had ten men they had. I think it's six or seven other players on yellow cards. You know, they, they lost the left, left lost their heads in the first half. They were getting bookings left, right, and centre, and it was just, you know, like, like you say, you can excuse managers for doing the wrong thing sometimes. You could have attacked, and you know, it all went to its top anyway. But it, it it just wasn't that situation. You had to go for that game and just kill it off. It it strikes me as I I feel as though you can almost do a study on games that break. So break the link between supporters and a manager, like it'd be an interesting thing because a, a lot of people would be surprised. I think people who certainly don't don't follow the game that closely or haven't had that moment themselves, how many of them aren't actually defeats? 
that you can you can be so wound up by a game that ends up being a draw that you just that for a certain type of manager you can lose your head over I don't believe we haven't just gone and made it three nil four nil that that becomes the thing that 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 sort of underlines all the concerns that you've got and that's you know that's what I was noticing when I was mooching around Stoke social media on on Saturday night and you've got to be careful with these things but that's that that was the vibe I was getting that if ever there was a game where your halftime team talk is get out there boys make it 3-0 and then kill it and and that's exactly what didn't happen and I, you know it is it, it's difficult and it's it, and you know if Mark used to sit here now he'd be going but we got it was a draw lads it's one of them it happens he'd be he'd be saying all that sort of stuff to us he'd probably be threatening to batter me but you know all of that sort of stuff be coming through but I think that it's something which oddly I actually think football managers themselves aren't entirely aware of that the thing that can break the the straw that can break the camel's back is often not the one you think it is it's often something quite different and I do wonder and I am concerned for Stokes I think Mark uses a good manager but if that's sort of what might have happened here yeah no definitely I mean it just reiterates those concerns you had you know from other circumstances or from early in the season you know we were all you know you had me on earlier in the year when we'd, we'd not won a game in the first seven and you know it was all and I was saying you know we always have this start with you and then he sort of picks it up from somewhere and he did but I can't I can't live this season every year I don't want to turn into Arsenal you know the same season every single year you do well you you know, for us, you, I mean, it peters out when we finish ninth every season. You know, I don't want that. And with the changes that he, that Hughes makes, the substitutions that he makes or doesn't make, because that was the yeah. issue on the weekend. Um, it, it, you know, it's the same problem again and again. And there's only so much that people can put up with. And the irony was Mark Hughes came out after the game and said, "My players were tired from Wednesday." But use some subs then. That's what they're there for. But it's not. It's not as <laughs> like he. It's, it's not like he hasn't got the options either. You know, you you've listed the options there. They, they, they sound like good footballers to me. And I think you know the last few games from a Liverpool point of view, yeah, and Klopp hasn't been using his subs. But he can point to the fact that go well. It's it's I've got a load of kids and I don't want to throw them in in difficult situations. Yeah. You know, you've got guys who are not just good players but very experienced and very experienced. And and, and so you'd have thought they they could have been of some use. No kind of no matter what his game plan was really. Especially if the, if the lad's yeah, tired. Definitely. definitely, definitely. And, you know, especially a player like Jürgen Shakiri, who's, you know, come from Bayern Munich and tomorrow and playing in the Champions League. And, you know, you've got the experience to see a game out, but also at the same time, you know, go at them and yeah. maybe have, you know, one, one moment of real quality. You know, I could, I could understand not wrapping around Sobe because, you know, it'd probably be his third or fourth Premier League game. He's come from Egypt. But, you know, when you've got the real experience of Jürgen Shakiri. I, I just didn't. I just didn't understand it at all. And to bring on Charlie Adam was, you know, the final nail in the coffin for that game because all he was going to do is have a shot from the halfway line. <laughs> it's. I mean, it's. It's. It's now sort of looking at it and going. You know, and the other thing about this is that that was. It would have been a nice three points. Your, your Christmas fixtures are Liverpool away and Chelsea away. Now we'll have you on yeah. again before that, and we'll have another little chat about uh, about about the season so far in general. But fixate. I'm, I'm the sort of side you can expect, but. That feels like a very easy zero points in that it would be a, a surprise result for Stoke to go and get, you know, to go and do any more than that at this stage. If we're all honest about it, it's not not, not arguments from our point of view. But that's why you want to get those you want to get those three in the bank and then have one eye on Watford, which you've got for uh, first game in January. That that that's got to be the aim. No, definitely, definitely. Those were a vital three points for the Christmas period on Saturday, and we threw them away. I feel like it was a loss, but we still got one from them. I don't expect to get anything from Liverpool or Chelsea. Um, you know, the, the only win we've had in 30-odd years at Liverpool was in the League Cup semi-final earlier in the year. But, you know, I'd say Liverpool are a different side now. Um, you know, they've got some real pace. 
uh, real pace and look the attacking options up front that I, I really worry for with our defence. And then Chelsea again, they're absolutely peak walking the league, just just you know just getting a job done every game at the minute it seems, and I expect them to do a job on us. Um, so yeah, those those points really were vital at the weekend, and we we just threw it away, and it led to me you know, at one point googling. You know, how to kill yourself <laughs> 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 but I, I, I'm restrained it, it is the you know you said it before just to echo it it is the feeling of, of the last thing I think any any football supporter wants really is that feeling of groundhog season and that's the you know you're not in the League Cup this season either but that's that, that's the issue really that there's a seventh place to vie for at the minute and feel as though there's, there's a leap forward and, and I do again I think that that's something else which at times football clubs and managers don't quite appreciate as well and that can seem a little bit unfair but that People are just looking for a bit of variation, really. I don't, you know, no, there's not a Stoke supporter knocking around who's, 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 who's saying we should be challenging for top four, but they'd like something a little different. In the same way that Sunderland supporters would love a quiet season where they win a few, lose a few, and broadly speaking, come thirteenth and are always coming thirteenth. That's not what Stoke supporters don't want. They want the idea of. You know, we can put a bit of a run together. We can we can shake it up a little bit. We can beat last season's champions at home when we're two 0 up at half time. You know, the, all of that. You, it, it, it's how do you get as an adventure? And I think that that's quite a. Again, it's something that I think if you're inside a football club and you're just thinking result after result after result, game after game after game, you can miss you can miss the value of that too. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, we just ask how the rest of the season goes. And but you know, there is a there is a real unrest in our fan base at the moment and I'd hate to see it start, sort of uh, start pouring out into the rest of the season you know the atmosphere at games and that sort of creeping in because there is there is some people calling for Mark Hughes' head at the moment especially after that the weekend I know, I know it might die down you know hopefully it does die down over the next coming days in the Christmas, Christmas period because we've got some tough games and I don't expect it to get much better but I, I, yeah I just I could, I could not live over that groundhog <laughs> Groundhog scenario going on every season. I mean, season. This, this, it feels and like it's a bit of a ninth fraternity. I mean, you talk about the Groundhog day, the, the seasons and stuff, but it feels a little bit with the, with the type of goals you can see in as well. See, seems to be kind of very similar, and and you know we we talked about before about how unstoke like goals that can be seen in, and the kind of things you, sh- yeah. you should be good at, but it's just continuous, isn't it? There's these things that used to be kind of you know meat and drink if you like for your centre halves, and now, and now suddenly um, you know they're, they're, they're popping up every game. Yeah, I mean that that, that header of the weekend you, sort of thing you'd usually expect Ryan Shawcross to sort of just win. You know, that, yeah. we're not we're not used to conceding those sort of headers. Um, and some people are even calling, you know, calling Ryan Shawcross into question at the moment as well because they're asking is he a real leader? Is he in question his leadership after that performance of the weekend? Well, captain is he's injured quite often. You know, come, he's in and out of the side a lot. Um, and there's some people questioning that as well. I mean, it, it, the, the performance of the weekend has opened a, a, to, a sort of number of can of worms, um, and, and you know, some fans are just making some ridiculous accusations at the minute. But um, yeah, the, the, the types of goals, the headers, for you know, all seem to be in the last minute, um, and it just seems to be happening again and again. It's not, it's not good. Okay, I think we've reveled in Elliot's sadness enough, John. Um, well, thank you very much for coming on. And as I say, it is interesting that it's a 2-2 draw that can do that to you because that's the nature of football. Um, so thank you very much to Elliot uh, for this week, to Steve and to Natasha. That has been the coach home. I hope you've enjoyed it. That was an Anfield Rap player show behind the paywall normally, but this week is part of the Christmas hamper. We just wanted to give it to you, let you listen, see what we're about. Hopefully you enjoyed it hugely. There'll be more of them to come. Sports Social Podcast Network.